And while I might agree that porn is disgusting, it corrodes men, it corrodes women, it corrupts sex lives, it ruins families. It has ruined generations at this point. I have met everyone from 60-year-old men getting divorces at 45 years of marriage because the wife found out the husband's into porn to 16-year-olds rolling into meetings trying to figure out how to handle their porn addiction. Welcome back, Freedom Junkies, to more Freedom Junkie Radio. You know that if you listen to this podcast, that we've talked about all kinds of things that bring more freedom into our lives. That's what this podcast is about. We've talked about freedom to carry our guns. We've talked about freedom uh, from the death industry or the birth industry, for that matter. We've talked about freedom from alcohol addiction. We've talked about a lot of these things. And today's podcast, is going to be a heavy one, I think. And I want you to know that, you know, I, I try to keep the podcast to where it's family friendly. You can listen to it with your kids in the car. Not this one. This one is not going to be uh, appropriate for the kids, I don't think. So um, if you've got them in the car with you right now, just move on to something else and come back to it. It is a topic that we need to be talking about our about with our children, though. So um, today's topic is freedom from porn addiction. And I was doing a little bit of research, looked up a few things just to prepare for the interview today. And I found out that there's a lot more pornography consumption going on in this country than I think we're aware of. I read that 86 to 96% of men consume porn and that women aren't that far behind them. So uh, I, with no further ado, I'd like to introduce my guest who's going to come on. He's a recovering porn addict, and I'm so happy that he's willing to come on and talk to us about this issue that we need to talk about. We need to talk about it, and I don't hear people talking about it. Uh, my guest is Daniel Lute. He's a Christian entrepreneur, advocate for the nuclear family, and he is all about a self-sustaining compound lifestyle. You can see uh, by his flag in the back that he is a proud American. And I'm very happy to have you here today, Daniel. Thank you so much for coming on Freedom Junkie Radio. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I want to touch on one thing right out the gate. This is not a topic that is easy for people to talk about in public, in private, in family members. So absolutely, I would reinforce the warning. If you have children present listen to this podcast another time and then talk to your children about pornography and porn addiction we've talked Get about yeah with my kids and uh we i try to do it as it is as uncomfortable as it is like you said um mm -hmm. you got to do it more than once too right you know um often is a good idea the reminders so where to begin daniel do you want to just tell us your story because you're willing to talk about it on the other side, but I, I think that you need to feel pretty good about the fact that you're you're talking about it, but there's a lot of people out there 
that are hiding a problem and you're wanting to talk about it because you've, um, you want to help people. And you said to me that if this helped one person, then, then it was worth Absolutely. it. So in the three years that I have been in recovery from a 20 year active addiction, it started when I was 12. Yes. Just because you think your kid's sweetness and doesn't mean that their friends aren't showing them things, the public library, cell phones, and epoxy back then you had a, dial-up internet connection us kids were still figuring it out back when you got mail was the thing everyone heard in their household um the helping other people is not only part of the 12-step process and what a lot of people don't know is there are in fact a growing number of 12-step recovery programs for sex addiction narcotics and um, alcohol but also pornography is being in the last, I would say, five years, we're seeing the results of very hypersexualized first world society, and we're seeing the fallout from it. Divorces are at all time high. Relationships aren't working out. Men are turning to pornography, uh, sex dolls, um, escorts, OnlyFans models, rather than engaging in direct relationships with women. Um, and a big fall that it would be, I would lay at the foot of the death of spiritualism and Christianity in this country. Um, I myself came back to Christ three years ago when I began my recovery arc after 20 years an atheist, because a lot of the porn culture is very secular. The very sex positive world we live in today is extremely secular, and it treats sex as a little bit of fun with the possibility of children rather than what God intended to was be the way children are created. And bonus, it's a wonderful thing to share with your wife and your husband. Um, so to not... To nutshell the my story arc, I started when I was 12. It was printed out sheets of paper, like coming out of an old Epson printer back in the 90s. Um, you would, we would print out pictures, pass them around at schools. It's because we didn't have cell phones. Um, and then it came the DSL, the unprotected, unfiltered internet pumped right into our house. And it didn't even have to be the family computer in the middle of the house. It could be the one in your bedroom because back then the internet was the wild west. It was brand new. There was no parental guards, no way to track anything. And most parents didn't understand technology then the same way most parents look at their kids running through tablets and phones like crazy now. I know people who are network administrators. They build computer networks and their kids still figure out a way to hide Instagram apps, Snapchats and whatnot from them. So the mind is very creative and kids will always find a way to hide whatever they're doing from their parents. So it starts young um, and then it metastasizes like every addiction. You start with a couple beers with your bro at 15, 16, sneaking from dad's garage locker and fast forward to your 20 years old night zone getting slaughtered, wasted with the boys at the bonfire. And then you're 25 and you got a DUI or two. Everything escalates. It starts off low key and then it escalates into worse and worse, which is where you see a lot of people with marriages that explode 40 years in the affair comes up the husband's porn activities are found or the kid finds it finds his dad's porn or the parents catch the kids and becomes a big mess so it escalates even from very young around 10 12 years old even six eight elementary school is getting rough with every kid having cell phones in their pocket sex is broadcast from the magazines you see in the aisles at the checkout counter all the way to the billboards as you're running down the freeway, sex is just pounded into your uh, brain as a way to sell items and it's a very uh, sexualized world we live in. So it starts there and it's around you constantly in society. It's in your home, it's in your entertainment, what you take in. 
and it's corrupting the good thing that is sex between a uh, husband and a wife. And the porn is a quick fix for stress, loneliness, uh, whatever antagonizing event you're having in your life. And some people even use it as a reward system, but it's the only dopamine drug hijacker that gives you the bad feeling after you're not using it. When you're using it, you feel good, but when you're not using it, you're crashing out. Whereas alcohol, you take in alcohol, it makes you woozy, intoxicated. Cigarettes, they wreck your lungs. Weed slows your brain down, jacks up your lungs. Heroin jacks up your arms, jacks up your organs. Porn is unique in that it produces the, the negative effects when you're not consuming it. And that is more of a mentality than a physiological uh, response to the porn addiction. So that's roughly how I started, got to a point where it became explosive in my life, um, destroyed a relationship or two of mine, and then got out. And then I discovered all of that because anyone who's addicted just starts consuming tons of material that allows them to understand what's psychologically, physiologically happening to them. But it doesn't change their attitude about quitting it or stopping it or anything. So what made you want to stop? Oh, the explosion of a, a relationship. I had about two uh, relationships. One uh, was a marriage that lasted all of 10 months after four years of dating. And then the other one was a just an absolute mess of a relationship with someone that um, that girl and I got a little closer than I expected, and the hypersexualized relationship we had led no room for spiritual or emotional growth because we were both addicts of a kind. Um, theirs was more chemical than mine was more pornographic. And in most uh, addictive, ad addict-based relationship, there is an addict and a co-addict, or as most folks call them, an enabler. Um, so the dynamic wasn't healthy. There was a lot going on and I figured out I needed to fix things. And uh, well, the relationship ending caused a lot of trauma for sure, because there was long-term goals and plans there, but where it was going wasn't healthy. And the behavior and the attitude and the personal image was all blowing up. And there was plenty of conflict within that relationship. And that's what caused me to realize I need to fix something, but I didn't know how. Okay. So did the, the, in these relationships, did they know that you were consuming porn or was that hidden? No, everyone knew. Everyone knew I was consuming porn. At that point, this, we're talking mid 2000s. Porn is so commonplace. Everyone does it. Everyone masturbates. Everyone's got sex toys. Everyone's just consuming it. It's just for some reason in my, my millennial generation, we all assume everyone masturbates. When I tell folks that I've quit porn and I've quit masturbating, they look at me with bug eyes. They're like, what? You don't even masturbate? I'm like, no, no, it's part of the problem inside the brain. Just because they said back in the day, you'll grow hair in your palms or eyes will fall out. Their motivations were right, but their reasoning and attitude about it was all wrong. Um, so yes, at the time, my partners knew I consumed porn, but they did not know the depth. They did not know the level. And they did not know the material. Um, they definitely knew that the bedroom activities were very much outside the vanilla world, uh, what a lot of folks would call kinkier. Um, so 
it wasn't even like standard Catholic missionary sex only sort of things. The the sex life was a little wilder. And I lay the blame. I wouldn't call it crud. I would lay the blame at pornography for introducing a lot of unhealthy sexual behaviors and um, exploration with partners because you could share that with each other and say, hey, I like this. I want to do this. But it's not healthy because you're not exploring your partner. You're not exploring your lover. You're putting your partner up against an actor who's getting paid money to fake a thing. And then you're expecting them to measure up to this psychologically manifested experience you think you're going to have. And then they are now getting a five-star rating on Yelp, the porn Yelp, if you will. So the sex life that we were having along with consuming pornography on all of our ends, everyone consumed it at their own time. We shared it, looked at what each other was into to a degree. But I would say as the male addict, we don't we don't ever tell our women what we're actually into or how kinky or how freaky, whatever word you want to use. We don't really discuss that with women because on on par, on, on the whole, I think men go farther down the rabbit hole more than women. I mean, we are you did much. We are seeing a rise in women consuming porn uh, more and more, but it's not near the level of men. Um, and the reasons beyond that, behind that are just all over the place. It'd take me a while to extrapolate all of them. We can hit a few of them. But um, my partners and I, they did not know to the level uh, what sort of porn I was consuming until the last woman I was with. And she and I shared like down to some of the wildest stuff I can. Not willing to share all the details on here. This is not a child-friendly podcast, but I'm not willing to get nitty gritty. That's what therapists and sponsors are for. Um, and we explored a lot of that stuff together. And I think that is what ultimately destroyed the relationship was that we were too busy chasing the sexual highs of sharing our, our lust-based fantasies rather than exploring each other as people, as persons, and I can at least credit that to me more so than her because I can't speak for that individual um, entirely. But I can say we were both exploring it. We were both willing participants in it. But it definitely overshadowed who we were because we would focus on that when we were around each other rather than just being with each other and enjoying each other. Sex was just a constant preoccupation on my mind for sure. Um, addicts being the type of people to sex and pornography – orgasm is the most important thing I'll have It's the last thing I should ever be doing in my life is just the validation to my existence. Kind of like a heroin head. They have to have the needle being high is the validation of their existence. The alcohol, if they don't have a cigarette in their hand, they're twitchy, jonesy. It's a dopamine addiction in the brain that tells you you have to be doing X. Otherwise, your existence is meaningless and pointless because the addict is a, the addiction is the lie. Okay. So a couple of things come up for me here. I, um, I recognize, so I was talking to one of my teenage sons about porn and in porn addiction. I think I was talking about giving this interview and they said, how do you get addicted to porn? I know they're thinking addiction, you know, they don't have addiction They're They haven't had alcohol. They haven't had drugs. So, and I said, it is an addiction to the chemicals that your own brain are creating. And it's probably more than just dopamine. It's other chemicals. It's the, the neurotransmitters that are, that's another word I've learned for um, hormones that our brains create when you're aroused and you get 
addicted to that. It's like, why do you get high when you go shopping? When you're like, hey, got a new pair of shoes and you get that. I guess it's dopamine. I don't, I'm not a scientist. I don't know these things, but it's- I'm not a scientist, but I've spent three years hammering into this and you've hit the nail on the head, dopamine. Okay. So our own brain creates the dopamine, which is a, obviously a really feel good it feels good. And it's the motivator to get you to do things that feels good. It is, in fact, not the actual feel-good chemical. That would be the, the um, oxytocin, the bonding chemical that bonds your doing something to feel good, uh, the opioid reaction. Dopamine is the chemical in your brain that drives you to do good things. If I said chocolate ice cream to you right now, your brain immediately snaps to a pathway that dopamine has associated good feelings with chocolate ice cream and Delta FOS B is almost like a cementing process and chemical in your brain that locks that pathway in. You eat the ice cream. It's good. Your brain goes, this is good. We should make a pathway and wind all these neurons here. Ding, cool. Someone mentions the word chocolate. Okay, we're going to run a little dopamine. We should go eat some chocolate. I don't care what. Hershey's ice cream. Hey, just give me some chocolate. Why? It makes me feel good. You go get that chocolate, Delta Foss B locks in that pathway. Once again, it reinforces. Now let's take, let's take chocolate out and let's put scantily clad woman, not even naked. We're just talking a woman at the beach with a G-string that barely covers her nipples and her privates. And you've got a 12-year-old boy who is slipping into puberty. He's starting to figure out that there's a difference between him and his sister and his friends. They're starting to shake out, and he sees that. And he doesn't understand why. And he snaps to it. And he's just locked up. Jaw hits the table. And you as a parent are like, we have to have that talk. Honey, husband, husband, you got to talk to your son now. He's, he's doing the thing. He's doing the thing that you did when you saw me for the first time on the beach. That is something that can, there are healthy stimuli where you see a beautiful person out in public, depending on whether or not you think going to the beach and a G-string is appropriate for children to see or not. Or you go to the beach and there's a woman in a one piece. Both will depending on what the child sees and where they're at, they will respond to it. Young kids don't understand this, and most adults don't understand the chemical pathways, the exact same chemical pathway that a young boy coming of age seeing a woman or a young girl coming of age seeing, seeing a very handsome man. You've seen fan fangirls that were all over the Jonas Brothers, the Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, all those different generations, Motley Crue. They all have the similar reactions in their brain. Dopamine kicks off when they when they see something they like and Delta Foss B locks in that reward circuit. So your son's wondering, how can you become a porn addict? Well, orgasms feel good. I'm not putting anyone on the spot. You've had a couple of children. I'm assuming there was a sex life at some point. You're going to have to explain to your kids that orgasms feel good, but they are part of the process where you reinforce either good or bad behaviors. Um, good behavior. I'm having sex with my husband, my wife. Orgasm comes in. You have a feel good response throughout your body. The oxytocin is the major bonding chemical that is released on mass amounts of women. Um, there's a reason why women, when they've had too many partners, they can't pair bond well and they become very angry and just generally bitter. Their brain chemistry hasn't had enough time to reset with neuroplasticity to ground zero because they're always running from base to base looking for someone to hold on to. And because their brain can't truly lock in on one person because it's just been, it's like handing out little chunks of you to everyone. That's when I say giving away pieces of my soul, you're giving away pieces of your brain. It's got a bunch of oxytocin in there. 
And both male and female brains run this way. FYI, disclaimer, everyone watching this, I'm not a neurosurgeon. There are plenty of people on YouTube you can look up and talk and on YouTube or who are neurosurgeons, and there's plenty of books out there. I am parroting what other people said. I am not an authority. Thank you for listening. But the child wondering how to become an addict, let's nail this down. He goes on the internet for the first time and looks up his first nudie clip, and he sees Instagram. It's just a girl twerking. I'm assuming you know what twerking at this point is where girls shake their butts in front of cameras. People from the 80s have no idea what that word was until I explained to them. I've met a few people like, what is that? But he sees that, and it's a sexualized motion um, that drives him to start masturbating. So he gets a response to masturbating to a female scantily clad shaking her butt or shaking her boobs, and he produces an orgasm. His brain, being male, desires a female partner, the lie that is pornography— even soft porn, I don't, there's no such thing as safe porn. There's no such thing. Let me just lay that out there too. No such thing as safe porn. Softcore, hardcore, kinky, BDSM, vanilla, lesbian, doesn't matter. It's all bad for your brain. It will wire you to respond to screens and pixels and sounds. So he sees this, masturbates, orgasms. The dopamine is released in the brain. I want to feel good. I want this. I can't have this. This is the alternate way to get to it. He pleasures himself and his brain locks in a pathway, Delta Fosby. I can please myself, make myself feel good for a half a second, and then I can get that again and again and again and again. And just like anyone at the bar, the first three to four drinks don't hurt. Is drink 18 and 22 where you're fighting with the cops in the out in the parking lot because the bar had to throw you out because you have no tolerance and you're blasted. Happens over a period of time. It's not instant. Most young boys and young girls can, in fact, play around with this for a little while while they're younger with it because their brains are growing so fast. Youthful neuroplasticity ends about 25, 26. So since they're growing so fast, they can either program in really good behaviors and neural pathways, or they can program really bad ones, but they can also unlearn and relearn them quicker than folks outside that early 20s bracket. So that's how people become porn addicts. You start here with something very small and simple because you see the sketchy stuff, like I'm not watching whips and chains, excite me type stuff. You're not like, no, that's just bad. How could someone like to get off to whipping someone or making someone cry? Like that's so messed up. You start here where it's just girls shaking their butts in front of the camera or it's dudes, if you're a girl, and then you escalate into uh, different kinds of heterosexual pornography that are just like missionary, doggy, whatever, um, age gaps, MILF, business, secretary, all those different categories. And it just creeps up because the thing about the brain chemicals is it requires more. It requires more. The threshold always rises. And this is where the addict part people don't understand. Pornography addiction is just that a chemical addiction. It's not a habit. You can change habits. You wake up every morning and brush your teeth at seven o'clock every day. You go on a vacation, you can brush your teeth at nine o'clock every day. No problem. You don't feel gross. You don't feel disgusting. You can shift it by two hours because you're not getting up for work seven days a week. You're getting up at nine o'clock for a week in the, in the Bahamas. It's a mental chemical addiction and it progresses because the requires a higher threshold of 
alcohol to get the same buzz because you develop a tolerance to the dopamine you and the receptors start turning off due to the massive amounts of flushes that you're producing consistently with masturbating drinking whatever you end up having to consume much more raunchier material which is where you get people looking into bdsm bestiality you're looking at transgender pornography you're looking at um orgy type parties anonymous type hookups and then there are people who act this out sex addicts has been noted to be a thing but i think the two are kind of interlinked but it's just dependent on whether or not you have the desire charisma drive to go out and act out these fantasies with people or to find people we used to be concerned about flashers all the time who would go out in public and flash people to get that sexual rush or try to engage with someone somehow it made no sense to me but again it's an addictive level that rises and the behaviors are the same across all of the addictions because it's the same part of your brain operating. You start off small, little tiny taste. You realize you can do this without a lot of consequence. I mean, because you're young and indestructible. You fall off a building, bounce and keep going, and it takes two days for you to feel better. And then as you age, you don't realize that you've developed a chemical addiction in your brain that has repeatedly hardwired itself and you don't realize until it's too late that you need 42 beers and a fifth of whiskey to get that drunk, which in porn terms, you are consuming some seriously raunchy stuff that you would be mortified and ashamed to share with anyone. But see, then that has to make you feel so bad about yourself at a deep, deep level. If you're cons- I met a man who had to ex- who who was on the verge of tears because he was explaining to me that he was masturbating to bestiality pornography specifically dogs having sex with women. And I had to look at him and say, there's plenty of people out there making it. You're not the only one consuming it. You feel ugly and disgusting, don't you? He's like, yes. I haven't even talked, people know about my porn addiction, he says, but I haven't even told them about that. I'm like, you're not a bad person. You're sick, just like the alcohol going to do far down. The catch is no one in society is going to look at a alcoholic who is consuming two-fifths of whiskey a night say he's a disgusting individual but the man using sex or a terrible pariah of it a ghost shell of it and masturbating to a woman being penetrated by a dog is going to they're going to shun him he is broken he is disgusting he is shattered and there is a stigma about pornography that people are afraid to talk about in public which again i'm here to talk about it but i'm not going to share my personal bit what i've been through it is something that people need to learn to talk about. But the level of disgust is what keeps people from looking for help because it corrupts what God intended us to share as a husband and wife. And it produces a toxic self-loathing cycle where you can masturbate to something truly kinky and disgusting and horrendous or just low grade. You just feel gross because you're masturbating instead of having sex. It could be just heterosexual missionary for the sake of having a baby you're watching it and then you feel terrible because you're not the one having sex the shame level is about the same the guilt level is about the shame it's just so taboo to talk about which keeps so many people in the dark and unwilling to go to their spouse and say i have a problem they won't go to a therapist and say have a problem they won't go to their preacher and say i have a problem Mm-hmm. The shame keeps people from okay. going out. So we've got we've got a lot of stuff we need to talk about here. One is that um, 
people do like, I, I, I want to get to how people can get help and how people, cause this is, this is awful. <laughs> it's terrible. Um, we, we keep talking about the, how it started as a child and how it escalates. And so we've been bringing up children a lot and I want to bring to people's attention. There's a book out there called good pictures, bad pictures, and I highly recommend it. You can start reading this book with your children at a very, at a relatively young age, because kids, like you said, are finding porn at a very young age. And what it does is it arms them with what to do when they see the bad pictures. There's good pictures, pictures of you on vacation, pictures of the dog under the tree. There's, there's good pictures. There's most pictures are good pictures. Then there's the bad pictures, which are when you see people, what they make you feel a little uncomfortable. It's people, naked people. It's, it's not explicit. It just, it, they, they, it makes it clear to the kids that when they see that thing that they know they shouldn't be looking at, there's something wrong with it. You may not have even had a sex talk with the kid yet. They don't know what sex is, that what to do. And they're supposed to shut the device and go talk to the person that's in charge of them, whether that's mom or grandma, babysitter, teacher, whatever, say, I saw this. And then they have to learn something called turning on their thinking brain. So we have two sides of our brain. We have, and it's true, we have an emotional brain and a thinking brain. And usually our, our emotional brain takes over. It's the one when your buddy says, hey, you want a beer? You go, hell yeah. And you don't think you emotionally. So that's what happens when people see porn. Even if it, it's unintentional, it came across their screen, their, their emotional brain goes, huh, I think I'm going to watch this because I think I want to see what happens. And it, but if they can stop and let your thinking brain turn on and go, you know what? I don't want that beer. If I'm think about it, I really don't. I've got things to do. I've got to go somewhere this evening. I need to drive, whatever. Same thing with porn. You can go, hold on, let me think about this. Nah, I don't want to look at this. So we've taught our kids to not look at it. And I've also told them that it will ruin their sex life with their wife one day, that they will have ED. They will not be able to perform unless they're looking at raunchy stuff. And so I, as far as I know, they're both doing pretty well. We homeschool, so they're not at school where they can consume it from friends. It's really, I mean, we're blessed in that regard. So the other thing, there's a couple other things I wanna bring up. And one is that um, people have, have said that pornography should be, um, protected under our first amendment, that it's freedom of speech. And I take issue with that because in my opinion, porn is an addictive substance. It is not a type of speech. It's, it's like having, it, it would be like having a trough of whiskey running through every house in America and telling people, Hey, that stuff's really addictive. You probably shouldn't drink it. Or maybe just a really good wine. Or a, or a really yummy beer. Um, it's going to run through your house all the time. There's this little trough that everyone can get to. The toddlers, the five-year-olds, everyone can get to it. But just tell them that it's not good for them and they shouldn't have it. That's what I think porn is. It is available to every household in the Western world. And, and it's an addictive substance. That's what I think we should treat it. What are your thoughts about that? I absolutely think believe in a free market. And I think if anyone wants to market sell porn, they absolutely should. You should market and say whatever you want, but you're entitled to the consequences thereof. That's what I believe in free speech. So as far as the handling of pornographic materials and how it's distributed, I don't trust the government to handle anything from the DMV to how they handle the idioms to how their government's running today. 
I don't believe in any legal litigation against it whatsoever, unless someone personally like who is in the industry presses a lawsuit. I place the responsibility on the nuclear family, as I said, big fan of that. And the parents, I don't whether or not someone is driving through your neighborhood with a truck full of ice cream, because I just went hit a ice cream truck. They drive into my neighborhood playing their songs. Pornography drives into your phone playing its songs. Everyone knows the Pornhub drum beat intro. Kids put it on TikTok where they'll play it to get a reaction out of the crowd in the gymnasium to make everyone go, oh, everyone knows it exists. You make alcohol illegal and taboo, what do people do? They make speakeasies. I'm not saying that we should ban porn. I'm not saying that we should restrict porn because I don't think you can. At that point, you're you're win fighting a losing battle. In order to handle pornography as an addictive substance, you need to teach your children what is good for them. I'm going to work from the from the front to the back instead of the back to the front here. Everyone looks at it like we need to put a Band-Aid on this cut. I'm like, no, no, no. Let's figure out how the cut started in the first place and come at it from that angle and prevent the cut from happening. Because if you learn how to pre prevent the cut from happening, you can change your attitude and mindset so that you're not cutting towards yourself anymore. You're cutting away. Okay, so Does that make sense? we have dealing with getting it, the children from, from starting using it. And then we have adults. And I want to talk about that and helping them to get help from, from this porn addiction. But I don't see how, if like you were saying, parents can't control. Okay. Let's take Twitter. For instance, this is when I saw the only hardcore porn I've ever seen. And I was so disgusted. So you and I come from different generations. I'm Gen X. I think porn is so gross. Like the, the idea, if if I, like you said, you think all millennials look at porn. If I thought my husband was looking at porn, I would be so disgusted. I probably couldn't touch him. Like it's gross. It's like, that's like. Be careful what questions you ask, because okay. if you think the statistics are outside Gen X, you're no, they're not. Kid no, no, no. Were a thing around before. The internet came about, and I remember Maxim magazines and Playboys. I found them on occasion as a kid, and Gen X was the one moving those around. It is oh. a dirty secret a lot of people hide, but the, again, recovering from it and handling how to keep your kids from getting hooked on it are two different angles. Which one do you want to tap into first? Let's start with the kids, because I, I think that having it Every kid, like you were saying, can get a hold of it. My kids are lucky to have to be homeschooled and to have parents, two parents, who have talked to them about avoiding porn and how uh, how destructive it is to people's lives. There's a lot of children out there who are running around. They're they're looked after by their grandparents, or they go to an aunt's house, or they don't they don't have both parents. They might not. It, they're getting it at school. They're it if. There's so many kids that aren't armed with having had a book called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. You know, you're saying so that I think people are treating it again. They're they're looking at the Band-Aid approach rather than coming at it from the how did this cut get here in the first place approach. And that's something that I've learned in the recovery um, and from a couple other books that I've read, which I will name drop towards the end, um, that I think is a mind altering way of approaching recovery in general and an attitude to starter for people, young people coming up. One, um, it's not about the pictures. 
It's not about because the pictures are everywhere. Again, you go into the, go into the grocery store next time in the checkout. Look at the magazines. Look at the boobs hanging out. Look at the women turning with their butt cheeks in the thongs on the beach. Look at what's at eye level to your children in the checkout aisle alone. We're not even talking about Instagram. It's just everywhere around you. Everything is sexualized. You go to the beach. There are some women dressed in onesies. There's some women in G-strings. There are some men in Speedos and there's some men in swim shorts. Sexuality is marketed and sold to move products. Um, and it's all over our environment. You can't lawnmower parent or helicopter parent, whatever term you want to use, every obstacle for the kids. But what kids need to learn early on is their inherent value as a person. It's not about fighting porn. It's about their soul and who they are. And this is where I lean very heavily on Christ. Um, we are all made special and unique. There is something unique about you, your husband, and your children that you hold near and dear. Each one of you has got a different, unique spark. And the lie that comes in with pornography, as I said, the addict's obsession with orgasm because the brain chemicals, the brain tells them that they have to have an orgasm or they're not valid or this stress won't go away, but the stress is waiting there after the orgasm anyway. Learning that their inherent value is not found in orgasm and sex. Sex is one expression of love. And I love that line from Celebrate Recovery, a Christian uh Christ-centered recovery program that addresses everything from overeating, drinking, narcotics, codependency, sex, and porn uh, integrity issues. One of their lines is, and their sex is a one method of expressing love. Um, it is not the be-all, end-all. And teaching your child, children, boys and girls, that their value is not just how many how many girls they can bang out in college or how many boys they can ride on in college. It's much deeper than that their value is in their soul it's in their their inherent uniqueness of who they are in christ and their created personality once you realize your value and that you're truly special and you are truly unique and you are a wondrous creation and no one can take that from you but you you can discard anything that tries to cheapen you or lessen you and That's we have a lack of that, I, that, that's wonderful. That's amazing. That, that, that is an amazing, um, offering. Like if, if every child could be given that the problem is the majority of children aren't going to be given that. And so you can't parent everyone else's kid, you can only help the ones that you have direct involvement with, which means the parents sitting down, explaining to their kids that they are a unique child, they're a unique creation. They are worthy of more your penis your vagina they're not for rent those are mortgage parts your soul is not for rent those are mortgage type things those are long-term for life commitments you are worthy of that respect you are worthy of that love and that honor that is something that a lot of people aren't taught they are taught that your value is in how hot a man you get how much money he's got how hot a girl you can get how many women you can get that's why I think the answer is Christ, because it's an eternity for souls that people can look to and focus on. My eternal soul is worth more than temporary sexual pleasures, be it pornography or with people. There is there is a part of us that we are seeking to fill with drugs, alcohol, food, sex, pornography that only spiritualism can fill. And I believe that answer is Christ, because there is a love from Christ by paying the 
the blood payment, the death for all those terrible sins we do to balance the scales. Because there's there's terrible things you've done that I've done that we still feel guilty about for to today. Um, the person who doesn't feel any guilt, we call those people sociopaths. And that guilt weighs on our souls and causes us to go into shame cycles where we feed into whatever self-destructive or mildly annoying behaviors that we go into. The freedom in Christ that Christians talk about is the freedom because someone else paid that that price to balance the scale on your soul when it comes to eternity. And I lean very heavily on that to find my value. So when porn comes up as an option in a stressful moment, I can say, no, I'm more valuable than that. I don't need that to get through this. I have something else to lean on that's far greater. Children learning that from their parents is the only way children are going to get that. Parents have to teach that. You can't fix everyone else's kid. You can start by raising your own, and then they become leaders to their friends. Because when their friends bring out the porn at school or at their aunt's house, as you said, or at the grandma's house, they're like, nah, I don't need that. Why? Because it's not what I want for me. It's not what my parents have taught me that I'm worthy of. That's a pale, weak ghost of what actual love and sex is like. And and I that's, uh, that's wonderful. And I know that... Um, Jesus and, you know, that Jesus has saved a lot of people from a lot of things. A lot of people have come to Jesus literally um, when they're at rock bottom. And so that's a great way to do it. But for all the people that aren't as, you know, that that don't find religion, that don't find Christ, um, I I think of it as a, a frequency. The frequency of Christ is one of the highest frequencies. It is the highest frequency. It's that frequency of pure love and forgiveness and compassion. And you mentioned guilt and shame earlier. There's an amazing um, um, gradient written by a man named Hawkins, David Hawkins, I believe. Have you ever seen it? it? It starts with guilt and shame are the lowest frequencies we have. And he managed to figure out where we vibrate frequencies. Um, and, and it goes up from guilt and shame to pride and jealousy and different things all the way up to starting where it becomes positive. And it moves on up to forgiveness and compassion, joy, and these frequencies where you we are vibrating at the frequencies that our mind and our heart that are in us. And so people, you'll talk, you'll hear people talking about raising their frequency. Well, what can you do? You can eat uh, quality food. You can get in the sun. You can rest. You can take a hot bath. You can go for, you know, exercise. Certainly looking at porn is probably the, one of the lowest frequency things you can do. So the opposite of the Christ frequency. And no, so it actually produces a massive rush in the interim because of the chemicals it's pushing your brain. It actually spikes you very temporally into the high, which is why the crash down, the the come down, the hangover, if you will, is is brutal. It actually spikes you up um, and makes you feel good for that fraction of a second. But even as you're uh, in the act, um, people can feel the guilt and the shame as they're performing the deed, and they can feel the guilt and the shame come down even harder when they come down. It's like every addiction, like alcohol, it brings you up, up and up and up. And then well, at a certain point, when you stop consuming alcohol, your dopamine starts to crash and you start to burn out. We've all seen that person have too many drinks and then burn out at the end. Um, the one thing frequency, well, again, I, I'm not on the frequency bandwagon at all. Um, again, Christian, so I lean that way. The one thing frequencies don't bring you is love. Love is something that 
I, again, it is a contentious topic for everyone. The love of Christ is what fills the void. Because frequencies, you you could frequencies, attitudes, pheromones, uh, serotonin, dopamine. You can you can eat chocolate and spike your dopamine uh, count in your body by one point five percent, like one and a half times. Rather, I apologize. S tobacco um, can spike you by one and a half times, and you can exercise, and that produces a dopamine jump as well. You can do all these things to spike the chemicals in your brain and bring your attitude up for a temporary, but they all come at a cost. Um, and they all require you to pay some sort of price, some sort of toll, some sort of fee. You eat too much chocolate, you become a food addict, you get overweight, diabetes, all that stuff. It goes down a massive bad end if you push it too far. Cigarettes, pipe tobacco, dip, chew, patches, nicotine. It's, it destroys your skin, destroys your lungs, et cetera, et cetera. Working out brings a lot on, but you spend a lot of time at the gym. You got to eat a lot and it's a lifestyle change. And it's probably the healthiest way to deal with dopamine things is to take good care of your body. Um, Christ's love is never ending, never goes away. And the thing that people, a lot of people, again, we're not going to turn this into a giant uh, religious discussion. I want to keep on point, but um, the love of Christ is different than uh, the word religion in that Christ never stops loving you, even when you mess up as a sinner. He forgives you. He expects you to repent. So when you make the mistake, you go back to the porn, you go back to alcohol, you call your sponsor, you pray to God, you confess, you acknowledge that you've done wrong before the Lord. And he washes those sins white as snow, as the scripture says, and he puts them behind you and allows you a new start every day. And that's something that you cannot get with. That is something you cannot get with physical, tangible things in this world. There are things they pass, they come, they go. The eternal thing about the sacrifice of Christ is that it can't be taken away from you. It was given and once accepted, you have now have that gift. And that is the blanket, if you will, between you and the, the evil, scary monsters on the other side that say, come over with us. You need more alcohol. You need more porn. You need more casual sex. You need more nicotine. That's okay. well, so, yeah, I mean, we I, I need to have a a, a religious freedom junkie radio sometime because I haven't <laughs> what I I mean I am a, I I'm one of these people that God's too big for just one religion I used to be a Christian but I don't consider myself a Christian anymore I love Jesus but I so I I also have a, a big part of me that is aware of you know th this works for a lot of people the the Jesus works but for a lot of people it doesn't so they don't have that you have that, like you said, that blanket, that that just never ending place that you can go to. And, and some people aren't going to have that, but they can still recover from porn or addictions or anything else as well. And so moving on, I want to recap just a little bit with the kids, something that I want to say that absolutely, see, I still have a problem with it being, um, being available. I I believe I am a huge the tiniest government possible person. I I don't, government's my least favorite thing ever. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, and that's a whole that's a whole that's a whole other discussion. I I really believe that you know Tom Renz is right when he said that the biggest hoax ever pulled over on humanity is government. I'm there. However, if someone were giving loaded guns to children 
I think that there's that should be we shouldn't accept that as a society, whether a government needs to get involved. I don't know. I I had I used to teach music and I had a student um, come in and say, I have a Twitter account. And he was he had just turned 13. And I thought you, you can have a Twitter account at 13 and you have one. And I knew I did, I was on Twitter for years before I knew that there was any porn on Twitter. But some but some porn account. Major, yeah, we can talk about that. Hardcore porn, like the likes of which I've never seen before, followed me. And so I went, I saw them and I clicked on it and I went there and I was blown away. I told the other mothers I knew because they were their kids had Twitter. I'm like, you can't let Twitter, I don't, I don't understand that. I it used to drive me bananas. I really pretty much quit using Twitter because I'm totally shadow banned on there. But I found a lady who was, there's also child porn on Twitter. And I found a lady who was fighting child porn on Twitter. She would go find the child porn accounts and she would, she had this whole list of things she did. She'd take, send them to the FBI, the local police and turn them into Twitter. But it's just a constant flow of new ones. Twitter is obviously not doing anything to, to keep porn off of Twitter. It must be a huge uh, benefit to Twitter somehow. I don't know how. But porn is just so available to the children and for the children who have parents who can help them navigate it, they might have a chance of not screwing up all their relationships in the future and, and screwing up their life. Um, Dave Ramsey, the guy who helps people get out of debt, he I heard him say, um, there are three things that will ruin your life. Drugs, porn, and credit cards. He's the credit card guy. Don't use the credit yeah. card. He lumped credit cards in with drugs and porn. I was like, oh my gosh, it's that bad. It is but that you bad. you ban credit cards. Well, yeah. I mean, people ruin their lives with credit cards. Um, so that's a very absolutist view to a very complex problem with many different contexts. If Hitler had a very absolute approach to things. Caesar had a very absolutist approach to things. Christ has a very absolute approach to things. Buddha has a very absolute approach to things. But when it comes down to everyone's individual situation, it's extremely nuanced and you can't blanket everyone over. And while I might agree that porn is disgusting, it corrodes men, it corrodes women, it corrupts sex lives, it ruins families it has ruined generations at this point i have met everyone from 60 year old men getting divorces at 45 years of marriage because the wife found out the husband's into porn to 16 year olds rolling into meetings trying to figure out how to handle their porn addiction um it is hitting everyone but i don't think banning it with an absolute hammer is the right approach because you come to the same thing where we should ban other forms of speech because i disagree with them when you have X people in power, red, blue, yellow, I don't care which party you are, independent, left, right, anyone who gets in charge says, you know what, I don't like this, so I'm going to make it policy that we're going to ban X. And everyone else is like, that's stupid. So they flip the other side. The other policy gets fine. I don't like what you do, so I'm going to ban X. And it's okay. It's, okay. It's, and that's fair. Problem. It never solves the problem taking the ham handed approach to just ban it. And I think to change. In the next two to three generations, the same way I think sex has become so proliferant since TV became the way to raise your kids, then tablets, and now it's TikTok on phones because the 70s, 80s were all in front of the TV. The 90s started having computers, 2000s was computers, and then smartphones from about 2007, 10 when smartphones hit the market started taking over. 
parents need to become much more involved in their children's lives as far as getting them out socializing sports spirituality education homeschooling is something i'm a huge fan of being involved in your kid's life means more than going to work nine to five come home did you do your homework and then staring at the tv you have to be involved in their lives and lead to them they have to see how a healthy father behaves they have to see how a healthy mother behaves and they have to see how they interact because children will not do what you tell them to they will replicate what they see monkey see monkey do so I do not think we can ban it. I do not think we can hide it from them. And I do not think we can bubble wrap society for them. I think we can present quality examples of how to live in front of them, show them when they see something hypersexualized on TV or whatnot, can you spot the trap? Can you spot the lie how they're twerping? Sex is the most important thing here and corrupting what sex is supposed to be. You make it a game almost to the kids. Can you see how they're making a mess in this TV series that we're watching or this movie or this ad or whatnot. How are they corrupting it? How are they changing something that's supposed to be good into something negative? Okay. I agree with you. I touche that we shouldn't take the hammer approach to things. I agree with what you said about, uh, you know, whoever gets in office can't just say, well, I don't like this and whatever. I totally agree with that. However, we have come together as a society and put age limits on the consumption of alcohol, of drugs. I do not think that porn should be pumped across the internet into every home in America. I think you should have to go down to that triple X adult nasty place where you have to get out of the car and show your face and walk in and be that guy. And so you can still go get your porn. It still could be free speech in a way, you know, so it could be, you could go create it if that's what you want to do. I think, I that, think that your freedom conservative radio station should be banned from YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, because you're promoting hate speech against the LGBTQ plus 5,000 community. So you should be banned from the internet and not allowed to talk about wherever you want. But the coin simply flips to either side. And because you feel morally justified and superior to the porn, they feel morally justified. Superior. It's still the same approach to a different topic. And that's why I'm saying it doesn't work, it even is. though it feels morally justified. But we've done it, it doesn't with work. We've done it with alcohol and drugs. We have said as a society that you shouldn't be able to buy alcohol until you're 21. At one point it was 18, 21, whatever. We've we've made it to where children can't consume it unless no, they, they can get do. their hands on it. They still can get their hands on it. Mm -hmm. Got it. But so, and then you also said, you know, that they need good, kids need good role models. Problem is, I'd say a majority of them don't have that. A majority of them aren't going to have parents who sit down with them and watch the commercials and watch TV with them and say, look at what we're seeing. Let's discuss this. Most children and aren't going to have that. Too fast, it's there. One, to put a nail in that coffin, no matter how many laws and rules you try to stymie something, it will find its way around. The reason why we have high-speed internet today is because the porn industry needed to broadcast faster and reach a bigger market. The biggest, the, One of the biggest things pushing high-speed everything is pornography. To stream more videos, to host more data. They are A lot of people don't go to Google looking up how to raise orchids and tomatoes in their backyard. So you can get that from grandma and grandpa. Streaming porn is one of the big reasons why the internet has developed such much more rapid speeds. They have so much money from ad revenue traffic. They push so they can distribute and make more money off of their ad revenue. You're not going to kill that industry. You're going to have to teach generations how to abhor it and change from it. Because just like weed, just like cigarettes, I mean, weed's legal in my state. 
Used to be you couldn't get weed unless you knew a dealer. Now you can walk to the store next to my gym and buy a dime bag. And they don't even know what dime bags are because that's old school terminology. You buy by the ounce, by the pound, by the key, and there's different strains of it, whatnot. At some point, it becomes something that you're just going to make your way to. Prohibition went through with alcohol and people learn how to still and hide it, move around, mook shiners became a thing. The kids will still find a way to it. The role models and the lifestyle change is what I would suggest is the long game. You Sitting down as you said, watching TV, homeschooling, taking your kids to the ball games, teaching them that the most important thing is not watching someone else live their life on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It's living your own life and fulfilling and chasing our dreams, being outside, socializing people instead of looking through a screen. A lifestyle change will detract from looking into this screen for validation and peace and feeling good. And it'll open them up to better. I'm I'm recognizing that what we're doing right now is exactly what needs to be done. You're you're wanting to save generations and humanity in a way from yes. this this. And if everyone was talking about it, if everyone was wearing shirts that said porn free, you know, there's that song, born free, we should change it to porn free and have that be a thing. People talk about alcohol. There's there are alcohol uh free bars people can go to they're they're people are are proud of the fact that they're sober and they'll have you know a shirt that says i'm sober and but nobody talks about this and so maybe this this is the the answer secular society is never going to look at it that way um because the hedonism that is uh the current country music scene rock scene metal scene hip-hop scene hollywood scene whatever scene you want to throw out Sex sells, alcohol sells, drugs sell. It's edgy, it's rebellious, it is sold since the 50s or big band swing. You go get drunk at the local um, the local band choice where they're playing songs, Elvis Presley style type stuff, then country music. I mean, you could look at um outlaw country was a thing. There's guys that broke uh away from old school telling stories to talk singing about getting drunk, whiskey, bars, and easy women. Um, I'm not going to name drop names, but the just the culture change. Hip hop music has always been around gangbanging and drugs. There's very few artists that were very family centric, supported, community supported. But the mainstream part of it wants to focus on sex, drugs, rock and roll. And I mean, 80s, look at hair metal, hair bands. There's girls, girls, girls. Everyone knows that song. Um then the 90s came around. It didn't change. Britney Spears hit the scene and everyone was flipping out then about her belly button. When I was growing as a kid, if a girl showed up to school with her belly button showing or God forbid pierced, there was a thing going on. So it's never going to go away trying to solve the problem now because everyone wants an immediate result. They want a silver bullet now. And that's something I learned in recovery. And this, this goes out to you guys and girls who are watching or listening. There is no true silver bullet. It is a process that can take 20 minutes. There are people who can get saved by Jesus and never talk to porn again. There are people who can read a book, something clicks, they say something to their therapist, and they go, they're cleared from porn. There are people who do the same thing with alcohol, nicotine, and whatnot. There's all different responses some people it takes years some people it takes minutes some people it takes months some people just never recover because they don't put the work in but they say they're in recovery and they don't go to me because they don't talk they don't actually work things they just drift through it 
there is hope. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. It's not a train. I believe it's Christ. But you have to be willing to put in the effort and realize it's not a silver bullet problem. You can't just say we're going to do this and porn goes away. It is an individual thing that hits everyone differently because everyone's psychology is different. Everyone's addictive processes are different. Everyone's emotional. Remember I mentioned about soul value. Everyone's at different levels. You can't just blanket this and everyone's going to sort out and it'll work for everyone. It is a very individual approach, individualized approach that needs to be taken to handle every person differently. You can sometimes drag someone through the Marines and yell at them and berate them and bang them into shape and they come out a functioning member of society rather than doing a prison term. Whereas other people, they just wallow in the despair and being trashed on it and then they just, they quit being a functioning member right. of society. Can't save everyone. My how So you've been porn free for three years, right? I would not say porn free. I would say I've been in recovery for three years because when I realized that problem and I started the recovery process, it was not pretty. Again, I'm not willing to discuss the specifics of my life because it does involve other people and there are other people I'm connected to. But okay. I will say I've been in recovery for three years. Okay, my question is, how does it feel to be with the monkey off your back? How does it feel to not have that on you anymore? You ever watched a gymnast balance on one hand on a beam? And they achieve this perfect balance. And it's like they're standing on two fingers and their, their frame has just balanced. And it seems natural to them. It is amazing to you, but it's so natural to them. Being an addict is like being the person in the audience going, wow, that is amazing. I could never do that. When in reality, anyone could. And realizing that you can be on that balance. And that's just casual everyday walk of life. You can juggle life without porn. You can handle stresses without porn. You can go to events porn. You can deal with toxic members in your family, at work. You can handle a car wreck. You can handle a broken thing without having to reach for your bottle, if you will. That, that level of freedom, knowing that you can function without the porn is amazing. Freeing is the ultimate word that I could say is to it. Realizing that People do function without it. You can absolutely be on the balance beam, walking on it on tippy toe, flipping onto your hands. You can do that. That can be absolute normal. It looks like normal people's society is unattainable on that balance beam. It is absolutely doable. And realizing that there is a monkey that you're feeding and it's not actually helping you and then letting that monkey starve to death and then realizing you have so much more charisma libido energy drive and just life seems to the trees are greener the sky smells it looks prettier the air smells better because there's not this overwhelming miasma for the men and i'll say this right to you you don't feel ugly when you walk up to an attractive woman or pass going you don't feel like a creeper because two 20 minutes before they left the house you had to crank one out you can just talk to people and not feel disgusting and ugly and that's freeing you can go through life without the highs and lows of the dopamine spike, the delta phosphate reinforcement, and then the crash out. You can just function. You can just do things without it. And that realizing that walking on the tight beam is actually a normal behavior and it's casual and other people live all normal lives. No, everyone's a little jacked up. 
So everyone slips on their tight beam. That's life. But you can do that. And that's pretty awesome. That is pretty cool. That it sounds a lot like coming out the other side of recovery on anything. You know, I um I haven't had a drink in four years and it feels fantastic. I mean, it feels a thousand times better than it felt when I was drinking every day. You know? A lot of people don't realize that you're not giving up anything. You're not giving up smoking. You're not giving up drinking. You're not giving up porn. You're getting mm-hmm. yourself back. When they say recover, everyone called it recovery, but analyze that word recovery. It means something was lost. There was something there and it was taken away from you or you gave it away. Because I'm a big believer in taking personal responsibility. I give it away every time I use porn. It just, it, I was giving myself to the screen. I wasn't giving myself to a wife. I was giving myself to a, to a porn company that was monetizing me for ad revenue. I gave myself away. People give themselves to alcohol and they go hook up or they get blasted and they're in the jail, whatnot. You're giving yourself away. Recovery. You find that piece of yourself again. You find that chunk of you that you think's been missing and it's always been there. Just wait for you to put it back in place. Again, me, that's Christ. I found that chunk of me and I recovered who I'm supposed to be. Funny. I can joke. I don't feel like I'm crossing lines with people. I feel like I'm socially appreciable. I can get on with my family. Even if I don't agree with them, I can get on with coworkers. Even if I don't agree with them, I run my own company. So I am my own coworker. Um, So you, you can live whole and integrated again, rather than feeling compartmentalized, like you have to hide chunks of yourself. Like you got to go masturbate and hide it from the wife because she gets into bed first at 10 o'clock, but you got to stay up till 1045 to rub one out before you take a shower, wash yourself off and slide into bed next to her, feeling guilty and shameful about it. You don't have to do that, man. You can be free of that. Women, I don't know how to speak to your addiction. I'm not a woman and I will not get in that lane. That is for other women for you to talk to. They exist. You can find them. But for the men, I can say you don't have to live like they don't have to wake up and run one out. You don't have to take a break on lunch. You don't have to sneak off to the bathroom. You don't have to do any of that. You can absolutely live free and get yourself back and realizing, again, back to front, not front to back. You can be whole. And that is an amazing feeling, getting yourself back and realizing this is actually who I'm supposed to be from looking at yourself past, like you realize how much of a different person you are. That's not a bad thing. You lose the friends that you had in the toxic world. You lose some family members that appreciate you only because you were a certain way. But as you change, you discover who you are. And I have discovered who I am in Christ. And I have discovered that I am lovable. I am respectable. I am worthy and my priorities have shifted. My attitude has shifted. My decisions have shifted to the loss of some friends, to the loss of some people. But I have found myself much more content in the relationships that did see me going through the process, that did value me, that were able to weather the storms that I didn't push out because I pushed some people out that I shouldn't have. And I pushed out people I did need to push out. Again, big on taking personal responsibility. You will grow and you will recover who you are. And you're not alone. I was reading this morning to do a little research for this interview and Pornhub had, has over 3 billion views a month. You're not alone. And, um, 
So what can people do if someone's listening to this and going, you just spoke to me. I am ready. I don't want to be this person anymore. Where would you send them? You submit said some books, give me your resources. And I will put everything that Daniel's about to say in the show notes. So you don't have to stop and write it down. Tell us what people can do. Celebrate recovery is a nationwide Christ-centered organization that takes people in, as I said, of all walks of life. We're talking food addicts, codependent, you're in a toxic, abusive relationship, or just a relationship where it's it's, it's codependent. There's nothing healthy about it. Um, alcoholics, narcotics addicts, sexual integrity issues. We're talking everything from homosexuality to uh, prostitutes, massage parlors, you name it, porn, cheating. All of it can be handled somewhere inside that organization They because... It looks to heal everyone that can, and Christ heals all wounds, and I believe that in my heart, and it helped me, and it got me down the road. I kicked the door down at one of those places, and as ugly and as shame-filled as I was in my active addiction, I found a room of men, and again, women, you will be in your own space. Women, it's men to men, women to women. I found a place where I could share my story with other men. And find out because I had done deeds, I found other people that would look at me and say, you're not your deeds. You are a unique person in Christ. You are made new. You can change and you can become the man you want to be. They can do that for the women as well. I, again, I do not mean this is a single lane for just the men, though men are the 90, the primary consumer. This is available also to women. Celebrate recovery. Look them up. They're online. They're all across the country. I do believe they're international. Um I am not a, what you would call active participating member, if you will. I'm not tied into the organization. I get no money from them whatsoever. I use their services for a while. And then I found a therapist who I see much more regularly in person one-on-one -on -one, um, because I, as I would say, I graduated myself from triage level. I'm in the field. I'm wounded. I need a bandage. I need to be taken to the ER room, then into the hospital for surgery, and then into outpatient therapy, and then physical therapy. And repeat. So I looked at this as the triage level. If you are a triage level, you are bleeding out, your life is exploding, your wife's caught you with someone, you've been caught with your your boss, whatever your trauma is as far as porn goes, you're you're in that moment. Celebrate recovery is a way to find that you can still be loved even though everyone around you is raining down on you in your own life and you need a place to feel safe and to start the healing process. I mean that from the bottom of my heart to start the healing process and feel safe and to develop some self-worth, find that, find that group, be willing to get vulnerable and be willing to find out there are people who will love you, support you and help you walk down this path. Number two, I have read a stack of books. I cannot remember the, the name it off the top of my head. And unfortunately I have to do some research and put it in there, but the, there is a big book for Alcoholics Anonymous. There is also one that is pseudo parodied for um, Sex Addicts Anonymous that um, some people turn to. I never turned to it because the Celebrate Recovery had its own Christian based ministry step study paperwork that we worked through. Um, but again, I would not shame a secular person for trying to find healing. I would encourage them to find Christ. Absolutely. 
but I would not shame them for trying to use the secular methods and going for the higher power approach if they can't find Christ immediately in this moment. I, I genuinely do mean that. I hope you find Christ. But I would push anyone in that direction to recover. Another book that was phenomenal that I learned from Selvago is called Out of the Shadows. Um, men, in particular, I think you will find Out of the Shadows a phenomenal read. It gave examples of several situations where men were dealing with porn addiction inside their relationships, or men who would flirt behind their wives' backs with secretaries, get up to the point of going on a business trip, and then wimp out um, and just go masturbate and then have a toxic relationship with the secretary at work. Um, that's just one little slip story that I sticks out my mind from it. So these, that book out of the shadows can help you see that you're not alone in this and you can heal and change, um, your behavior. And there is hope on the other side. Um, another book that I personally have listened to a couple of times and, read is called the easy peasy uh, method. Now, Alan Carr, if you know the name, wrote the book on quitting smoking called easy peasy. Um, and it uses a lot of what I, I tried poorly to describe as approaching the problem from not from a band-aid level, but from how did the cut start? Um, how do we approach this looking at uh, it from a I'm not giving up porn to I'm getting me back. I get who I am. And of all the books, I would personally credit Easy Peasy to a groundbreaking moment for me. Um, Alan Carr's Smoking Cessation original book, I've not read it because I quit smoking years ago. After 10 years, 13 to 23, I put smoking down because I wanted the money for a motorcycle more. That's how I quit. I found something else I wanted more. But Alan Carr's methods apparently have been working around the globe for years instead of trying to scare you with all the the porn induced uh, eject, uh, or porn induced uh, ED, the fading penetration where you put yourself inside a woman, your penis stops working, the decreased virility, semen, sperm count, the decreased energy. Alan Carr's um, hack book that this other person changed that serious mode book to approach pornography. It doesn't try to scare tactic you. Because we've all been scared. We all know the health issues, but we're still acting. Alcoholics know their liver's failing. They know their, their veins are trash. They know their skin's haggard. Smokers, they know it. The book changed how I approached mentally, the brainwashing of how the addiction was supposed to work. I stopped trying to band-aid it, and I started looking at myself as a more valuable individual and found the, the mental approach shifted. It's the best way I could explain. I know I'm all over the place on this, but this book, I think for me personally, again, Out of the Shadows could be it for you. The Celebrate Recovery Group, where you go to groups once a week for the rest of your life, could be the great place for you. Me, I shifted. I went to a therapist, and I found this book by accident from another porn user who shunted it over to me, because um, that's usually how this material is exchanged. As you said, not a lot of people talk about this stuff. So... That book, Easy Peasy, uh, it's a hack book, and I will have to dig up the link. Well, I'll just flip you the PDF. Are, um, there, are there any podcasts about porn addiction? I don't even know. Uh, I don't think there are explicit podcasts about strictly sticking to porn addiction at this point. I am okay. not a major podcast consumer, so I'm the wrong person to ask step one. Two, 
it's a taboo topic. And to really dig into the nuts and bolts of a porn addiction, as I said, you're talking about someone's unique traumas, their unique interests, and it's the psychology behind it. Digging to each individual person is usually not something a lot of people want to share out there. Okay. I mean, well, I think a lot of alcoholics and drug addicts and stuff at first, you don't want to talk about it either. You're a little bit embarrassed. You don't, you don't, you think, oh, what if I relapse? What if this isn't going to stick? You don't want to talk about it, but it's so helpful to people who are addicts to listen to people talk who have recovered. There is an amazing podcast that totally helped me because I am not a meeting type person. I never went to an AA meeting. I knew my life was going to be a million times better if I quit drinking. I knew that. I couldn't figure out how to do it. As everybody I know drinks every day. So how, how was I supposed to quit? And I listened to a podcast and I shared this on my, um, on my interview with Casey McGuire about how to quit drinking. There's a podcast called the bubble hour. And it's mainly women, but she'll interview some men too, where she is a recovering alcoholic, but she talks to other recovering alcoholics. It could be six months. It could be six years. She has women on there who are like fell into prostitution and drugs and tell their whole story. And then she has people on who will be like, Oh, I'm a high powered lawyer. Nobody knew that I was going home and pounding two bottles of wine every night. And, and falling asleep on my kitchen floor. I mean, it, from all walks, and you get to hear that there's this giant, there's this huge family of people that are are, are welcoming, welcoming you with open arms and that it works and that you can do it. And um, it would be amazing, Daniel, for you to start a podcast where you invite people on to talk about how they quit and what their story was and go there. This is just one podcast on Freedom Junkie Radio I'm of two minds about that for uh, some of the, some reasons. One, I think it's healthy to bring people out and talk about the addiction and to how to move past it, get away from it and what life is like before and after. But there is definitely a stigma about sex and porn addiction that even, as I said, I have not discussed once anything that I have done with you guys. I have briefly alluded to some other people's experiences and I refuse to name names and you couldn't pay me enough, but I have described a couple of light experiences and stories that I've been told simply to show other people that some people did in fact volunteer their names in some of those books and some of the stories, the names in those books are changed. The reason for that is, is there is a stigma behind sexual corruption and integrity issues that goes deeper than drinking. There's the one thing I think that separates it from other issues is Christ, one of Christ's first miracle was turning water to wine. Even Christians are not forbidden to drink unless your particular sect forbids it. Christ didn't say don't drink. The Bible says don't be a drunkard and don't be in love with wine. But sex is something integral to the human experience because we don't exist without it. To date, to my knowledge, and I'm not willing to dig this open, we are not matrix making people in test tubes like and we have to put no and sex is wonderful. I don't want to so, make babies in a test tube. <laughs> right. So for those, I'm not knocking those who have to do the IVF route, but the babies are still grown inside a woman. They either have to be C-section or vaginally birthed. Sex is integral to us as a species and our human psyche. So I think there is something that people do not want to expose to the general public, the things that they have done partaking. Yeah, 
we can look at the guy had a bunch of prostitutes. I was on a boat and did a bunch of things. That guy who the uh, oh that one movie they made, um, catch me if you can. There's the he was money laundering back in the day, cashing bad checks all the time, and DiCaprio played him and he took a bunch of hookers onto a boat and he had a giant cocaine alcohol sex party on his yacht in the middle of the ocean in the 80s, 90s, whenever he was doing that. Anyone can say that. But no one wants to sit down and say in front of you, me, or a, a giant, the planet, because they don't know if they're single and they're recovering. They don't want to sit there and say, yeah, I used to masturbate to XYZ porn. And now they have that mark on them for the rest hey, of their life. Guess what? The, the podcast I'm talking about isn't like this where you can watch it on YouTube. It is a podcast. It is voice only. Mm-hmm. So you don't have the face with in in it. They could in like in an alcoholics recovery, they usually typically say, Hi, I'm Matt. I'm an mm-hmm. alcoholic. You just use your first name and have people, real people, come on and talk. And that's something else I wanted to touch on the groups thing. So alcohol is you. And I'm being very general about this. Forgive me, anyone who's recovered from alcohol or is dealing with it. It is usually a socialized drink. We can, of course, mock the alcoholics who go drink by themselves because they're the real bad ones. I don't care. But for the most part that I've seen, alcoholism starts as a social thing and then it spools up, life explodes, and then you become a reclusive alcoholic. That's my guess. My struggle is not alcoholism. I refuse to speak concretely to that. Porn is an isolating drug. Porn is an isolating addiction. Very rarely do you see the guys getting together to watch porn and jerk off together on the big screen. It is something done in isolation, in shame, and alone, and locked in the dark, with the door shut, the windows barred, the shutters drawn. And I mean to paint a very dark and abysmal picture. That is where porn lives in the darkness. And you're isolated, and you're alone. And you're miserable and you feel like when you come out of that you belong back in there mm-hmm. and i want this i want the people hearing this to feel this you feel alone like you belong locked up underneath the underneath the cupboard somewhere in the dark and you're not worthy to come out because you feel you've used yourself up given yourself away to a screen there's there's you feel disgusting you're hiding it from your kids your friends your mom your dad your wife your fiance whatever it is you're trying to hide this disgusting thing and you feel like because you're an addict to this monkey you belong in there i don't think recovery from porn should be done in isolation by yourself via a podcast or a youtube episode or rumble video whatnot I believe this from the bottom of my heart as a recovering porn addict. You should go to a meeting. You should learn to associate and talk to other people. The addiction ruins how you interact with women because you view women as body parts. You're looking for big boobs, big butts, little boobs, little butts, whatever. Whatever rabbit hole you've gone down to, you've you've lost the ability to look at women or men for that matter, depending on whichever side of the coin you're on. You, you, you're looking at body parts. You're not seeing the whole of them, their uniqueness, that soul part. They become something that feeds the monkey on your back. It's not even seeing you. Not even real people. You don't even know these At this point, the AI kicking out is insane. But for the addict who's been using it for years or 20 minutes with the OnlyFans, the Instagram models, the Twitter porn, whatever have you, the amateur hour stuff, I don't care from professional. Everyone remembers Jenna Jameson or what. I don't care. 
your brain has reduced these people on this screen to body parts and you're looking for scenes and camera angles and you've forgotten how to interact with people to a degree that you don't even realize is lost. Years ago, I was not capable of talking to a woman like this without sexualizing her in my mind. It was compulsive. Is she a mate? Is she pretty? Is she have this, that, and the other thing about her? It is a compulsive addict behavior that feeds the monkey on your back. I believe this in my heart. If you're addicted to porn or sex or both, you should go to your appropriate genders, male or female, recovery group, and learn how to interact with other people. Like I said, it's triage. You're coming out of that shadow, out of that darkness, and you're learning that there are other people also peeking out from underneath their rock who want to be social, who want to be expressive, who want to find good sex, good love, and a good integration with society. And I don't think a porn addict who does things behind locked doors and shut away in the darkness is going to get that by continuing to stay in the same physical environment they're already in. You need to push that boundary out of, of exposing yourself and your heart to other people in a safe environment. And that's my long-winded to go to the group meetings, learn to share. And even if you show up to five the first time, go, hi, my name's Dan. I'm not saying anything today. You made the first step into the gym. You made the first step into the healthy part of the grocery store. You made the first step into the church parking lot. You made the first step. You don't have to go out there and dump your, your purse up, breakfast club style, but you can go there and make the first step. And that is a great step to socializing. Well, and the other thing, something that got touched on, I don't remember what, I think you said something that just made me want to say that, you know, how we were talking about how sex is important and, and wonderful. And by pumping porn across the internet and making it available to all human beings and destroying people's ability to, like you said, look at a woman in a normal way or whatever, they've taken away one of the most powerful and beautiful experiences, perhaps the most beautiful experience that two people can have. And that yeah. is, that is the experience of sex with love and heart and um, um, a togetherness oh. and an intimacy oh. and intimacy. What would you, what'd you say? Soul posture. Oh, yes. They've it's taken about, the soul out of the orgasm all the time. There is that's a great part of it, but that's only one part of it. The, the coming together with another person and making yourself vulnerable and loving. And is, I mean, I just want if people to, to realize that if, you know, if they've been in like in that dark place that you described, there is the polar opposite out here where, Absolutely. you know, there's light and love and you don't, you don't have to feel bad about yourself at all. You can walk, you know, so that there is a line in the Bible in a couple different places. They man shall leave his father, mother, cleave unto his wife, and they will become one flesh. And in the marital vows, vows, a lot of people describe as we stop. I mean, pardon me for putting my own personal spin on there. I believe in a marriage, you give up your individuality and you become one couple, one union. It's not two people roommate. It. It's we are bound spiritually, morally, and from a soul point. And that was not always the view I had before I came to Christ. So this is a different, for those of you who 
who I'm going to share this with, who knew me in the past, this is obviously a different approach than what I did in the past. Um, the Christ-like approach to marriage is a union of souls. And your soul can't bond with that other person in addiction because there's a monkey robbing you of yourself. And that light and that feeling and that connection, it's possible. It is absolutely possible for anyone of any age to find themselves and recover. And I want to stress this again. Sex is not the ultimate goal of your life. And I'm saying this to you guys, addicts, men and women. Sex is not the most important thing in the universe. Orgasm is not the most important thing in the universe. There's a purpose for which you were created and you weren't created just to have sex. Anyone can have sex. They do it in all economic classes, races, creeds, religions. Anyone can do it. But that's not the ultimate purpose that you have. Your existence and your purpose and your value is not tied inextricably to the sex you're having, what kind of sex, how much, or how many orgasms you have. I can't stress that enough. That is a major lie that society pumps in you from the magazines, the movies, the music, the TV shows, to the pod, some of the podcasts that people consume. Sex is not the most, and your sexual value is not the utmost determiner to your character. It is part of life, not the be-all, end-all. But you can absolutely come out of this darkness. You can find yourself. And when you find yourself, and again, the Bible says, seek ye the kingdom of God first before all else, and all else will be provided to you. When you recover, seeking God, seeking Christ, this is my journey, seeking to live gently, humbly, kindly, righteous indignation is a thing with Christ, Knowing when that the emotions are not, not evil, being angry, being lonely, being aroused, being desperate, being sad, being happy, being overjoyed, just petting a puppy or a kitten. All of these emotions are valid parts of the human experience and they are valid experiences. And you can absolutely learn to express them, experience them yourself. And you are not doomed to be alone forever. But in finding yourself and recovering yourself, you will make yourself available and open to that other person who can compliment you, not complete, because people will fail other people all the time. Husbands and wives have made each other cry multiple times, made each other angry. That is a thing. But you will find someone else who can compliment you. And you can, in fact, one day have healthy sex. That's two different kinds of sex. There's the propagative, and then I can't remember the nerd word for the other. I would guess the best word I can come with is tantric, and that's a lie. It's not the right word. Um, but there's two kinds of sex, one where you're seeking the goal, the orgasm, it's making children or getting our rocks off is the casual colloquialism or just getting the big O. But there's the other sex where you're just in a soul heart position where you're sharing that with your lover, your wife, your husband. And it's not you're not there on a mission or a purpose other than to just be bound to them. That is possible. Have I experienced this? No, I'm a single man, but it is possible. Other people have had it. You can too, but you will have it to your own unique way. It is not the be-all, end-all goal in life. It is part of the experience of it the same way sex is an expression of love. Porn is the lie. You can get there. Okay, we're going to have to wrap it up. And I, one of the things that we mentioned when uh, we were deciding to make this podcast, when you, when you um contacted me and said, you'd like to come on. Cause I was looking, I wanted to do a podcast about this and you said, you'd never talked about it. And I said, are you willing to come on video? And you said, yeah, totally. Because I want to help people. 
that, and so I want to say you're so brave and, and your karma is going to just be like off the charts now, because I'm sure that this is going to reach people and touch people and help people. And I hope that it gets shared. I hope that people find it. And, um, what, oh, oh, the thing you said was, you know, I said, if you, would you come on video? And you said, yes. And you said, the only thing that it could harm potentially would be my future wife or children, if they were to see it or know it, but you know what? I don't think so. I think it's the opposite. I think by you, because there's a, I think you being so open and honest and raw and authentic and recovered is going to be very attractive to women. And I, I don't think, and you know, and being honest with your children, that's, you know, my, when I told my kids I quit drinking, they were like, that's awesome, mom. You know, they got to witness it. So I just, I, I, I want to applaud you and say thank you. And that I think you're really brave and that I hope that more people will follow in your footsteps and come out and talk about this stuff. And I still think you should do uh, just even a podcast, not video, <laughs> but getting lots of people. You could give a platform and this could be something because I listened to a hundred of those um, bubble hour I was fascinated by other women, particularly there were men too, who had stories to tell and that had gotten over it. They're like, I'm five years sober. I'm like, oh, that sounds amazing. And it is amazing. So I think at some point in time in the far future, I don't think this is happening tomorrow. At some point in time, porn addiction recovery will be a commonplace thing because of the advent of the internet in the last 10 years. Now it's exploded as far as use and distribution. And it's in our pockets now on these little phones. I think at some point in the future, not tomorrow, it will be a commonplace thing that people are talking about the way they talk about alcohol or tobacco or drugs, recovering from addiction to anything else that's dopamine firing. Um, I think I'm in a unique position going into whatever relationship one day, Lord bless me with children, a family. I'm going to be able to look out for my children and see things in my children before they come about. And I'm going to be able to provide a lifestyle for my children because I've walked this hard path. The alcoholic recovered can see their friends and family in a different light and can see the warning signs in other people when they need to reach out. As an as a recovered, you probably have a sponsor and you've probably seen other people walk through. Never got a sponsor? Huh? Me. What? Pardon me for pardon me for projecting. Um, but a lot of people that I would have said in my experience, they have sponsors who can see warning signs, can pick up on things, cues and conversations, social, see someone's in a rough moment. You can see when someone's spiraling out and you can open a hand, but you can't force them to take it. But you can open that hand very gently and let people know that you'll help pull them out of the pit. Um, tying a bow on this, I'm going to want to speak again to a painful part in my past, and I want to give this to everyone listening, watching. Your boyfriend, your wife, your husband, your girlfriend, if they hear this or you watch this with them and you turn to them and say, do you use porn? And they say yes. And they're scared and they're terrified. And they're shaking. Their palms are sweaty. Their face is draining color, whatever reaction they're going through. And you can see it in their eyes before they answer because there's guilt is really easy to spot. We all have those triggers that you can see when someone's caught. 
in the act or otherwise, and you can tell when someone's lying or faking, come at it gently. Don't be disgusted. Don't be ashamed of them. It's an addiction. No alcoholic who, who wants to go home and pound two bottles of wine. That's why the man recovered and he talks about so other people can find healing. So if you find your husband is using porn behind your back. It is okay to feel hurt and betrayed and shamed. If you find your wife is using porn behind your back and you feel like you're not enough, the feelings are valid. I'm a Christian. Gentle love, open arms, invitation to healing, invitation to be loved. If you find this damage in your home and in your personal, in your children, it is not the time to scream and yell and your hands are going to grow are going to grow fur and your eyes are going to fly. It is a time for love and understanding and healing. Come at it from a gentle place of love. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. It is a trauma that is going to hurt, but the strength you will find growing through it and on the other side is just like recovering. You will look back at it in the past at some point in time and see how far you've come and how much closer you have because you put the work in to love each other rather than to reject each other. And I mean that. Thank you. I think that's a beautiful way to wrap it up. Yep. We're all human and that's not going to change. <laughs> Big humans. Awesome. Daniel, thank you so much. Thank for you for having me. Well, uh, you're, you're welcome. And signing off freedom junkies. We're going to leave it there till next time. Adios. I live better than a king ever did. I live better